Let's open our Bibles to um, Romans 11. I've entitled this morning's message, The Fullness of the Gentiles. And the theme of chapter 11 is the remnant of Israel finding salvation, the remainder of Israel blinded, reason for setting aside the nation Israel will be discussed in chapter 11, and then the restoration of the nation of Israel. Uh, We're gonna cover the whole chapter this morning, but it actually goes pretty quick as I went through my notes this morning. Um, The first section here begins with a question. We talked about this on Wednesday night because it deals with uh, doctrine from the Jehovah Witnesses and also replacement theology, which basically, if I would sum it up, is that because Israel rejected their Messiah, the promises that belong to Israel now are inherited by the church. That's Jehovah Witness doctrine, plus they don't believe in eternity. And um, it's also common doctrine among many churches that hold to replacement theology. So the question is, is God done with Israel? And are the promises given to him null and void? And does the church inherit them? That's answered in the first verse of uh, chapter 11, where Paul says, I say then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people, whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says of Isaiah how he pleads with God against Israel, saying, now, where Isaiah is at here, I call it going from a, um, a mountaintop experience to um, the pit where you actually want to die a day later. And this is a pattern that's established throughout the Bible. Elijah was calling fire down from heaven one day on Mount Carmel, and then he heard that Jezebel was after him, so he hightails it out of there. And he gets to a spot and he says, that's enough, Lord, I've had enough, just kill me, let's have it over with. And that ties into this verse right here. He pleads with the Lord and his thinking is, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down their altars and I alone am left and they seek my life. He thought he was the only one. Sometimes you may think you're the only one, but What does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. And this is Jezebel. She introduced Baal worship to Israel, bringing in leaven, false doctrine, and, um, you know, um, Elijah here is just singing, I'm the only one. No, you're not. I got 7,000 that you don't even know about. Even so, at this present time, there is a remnant. Now, we need to make a distinction here. When we're talking about Israel, we're talking about uh, two types of believers in Israel. Those who are insistent on being Jewish by keeping the law, and those who, like Abraham, by faith, looked forward, like we read on Wednesday in Hebrews 11, um, These look for 
by faith. They say they're strangers and pilgrims. And their attitude is, we're going to trust the Lord. They don't, didn't understand the full gospel plan back then, but they died in faith, but not having received the promise. So this word remnant here in verse five, even so then at this present time, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Turn back to chapter nine of Romans, and we read this last week in verse 27. Isaiah also cries out, Concerning Israel, though the number of the children of Israel be as the sand of the sea, the remnant would be saved. So again, we're making a distinction here. And Paul is saying, has God cast away his people? Absolutely not. But um, there are those who insist on trying to keep the Levitical law. Matter of fact, they try to push it on the Gentiles. Um, The only cross-reference that you have there in your bulletin is Acts 15. I was going to go there. But it's, it's their first big group council meeting. And it was over the issue of whether Gentiles should be circumcised and keep the law. And that was the issue. Peter gets up, first of all, talks about Cornelius. And then Paul gets up and he says, I've been sent to the Gentiles. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, finally gets up, I believe James was a pastor or the head elder in Jerusalem, and he just said, so be it, we're gonna write a letter to the Gentiles. Here's the do's and don'ts. There's obvious things you don't do when you're born again. Um, You leave off sleeping around. Everybody would say that's a no-brainer, right? Okay, it's just something you don't do. First thing that went with me was swearing, okay? (laughs) So there's things that are obvious that you don't do. So basically the letter said this. Um, We're not gonna put any more laws on you that our own people can't even keep. We're not gonna do that. And, uh, you know, restrain from adultery and swearing and things that you simply wouldn't naturally do. We simply don't take the name of the Lord in vain anymore. That's just... A given. So anyway, that's your cross-reference there. Um, And so we find here in chapter 9, verse 27, the remnant will be saved. So we're going to be talking about this this morning. We will see that God has a future purpose with Israel. In chapter 9, we saw God's past dealing with Israel In chapter 10, we saw God's present dealing with Israel. A remnant of Israel is finding salvation. We have seen that the nation rejected Christ and by faith, righteousness of God in Christ was offered to them. And now God has rejected them, notice, temporarily, important word, temporarily as a nation. Two questions naturally arise. Has God permanently rejected them as a nation? In other words, does the nation of Israel have a future? Secondly, are all the promises of the Old Testament nullified now by the rejection of Israel? Remember that God had promised primacy to Israel in the Old Testament. Now, if you're taking notes, I'm quoting Deuteronomy. Chapter 28, verse 13, where it said, has he not said that 
Israel would be the head and not the tail of the nations. So now, during the millennium, if you don't go up and worship in Israel, that's the center of the millennium is Jerusalem. And if you don't come up and keep the peace of tabernacles, well, it's not gonna rain from wherever you came from. Uh, There'll be consequences. So, all the promises of the Old Testament will have a literal fulfillment, and Paul will make that clear as we get into this chapter this morning. So we made it down to verse six with five with the remnant according to the election, and here he explains why some are hardened and others are accepted, being Jewish. It says, if it's by grace, in other words, the finished work of Jesus on the cross, then it is no longer of works. In other words, you can't have it both ways. It's one or the other. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace, but if it's of works, it's no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So there were Jews that insisted on keeping the Levitical law that they themselves could not keep, but there were others that were believers. Let me remind you, the early church was all Jewish. All the disciples were Jews. It wasn't until Cornelius came along and um, got saved, it blew their minds. Gentiles can get saved. So we'll get into this a little bit more when it talks about what our attitude should be towards Israel in the present time, especially in this present time because, because of what's happening. So in verses one through 10, Israel's rejection is not total. And we find uh, this in verses two through five, the Old Testament example of Isaiah. And now um, in verse seven, we read back to uh, chapter 11. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, or the remnant, and the rest were hardened, just as it is written. Okay, again, I'm gonna point out how the Old and the New Testament are dovetailed together. And you're gonna see this three or four times in this one chapter. Just as it was written, God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they could not hear to this very day. Okay, um, that was Isaiah. Now he quotes David. Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see or bow down their back always. So in these first 10 verses, we have Israel's rejection. If we would sum it up, it's not total. And he's actually allowed this blindness to come on them, but it's for a reason. Now, picking it up in verse 11, uh, the next section here is through 24, is the purpose of Israel's rejection. Let's read 11 through 15. I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. 
For if their fall is riches for the world and their failure riches for the Gentiles, how much more will be their fullness? For I speak to the Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles. This was Paul's calling. He was sent to the, to the Gentiles. I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are of my flesh and save some of them. Okay, the question we talked about, I don't know if it was last Sunday or Wednesday night, uh, dual covenancy, that God has one covenant for Israel and one covenant for the church. And this blows that right out of the water. Not at all. Um, We talked about last week, um, Paul said, look, I'll give up my own salvation if it means all the rest of the Jews could be saved. And that's quite a statement um, to be made. And then he goes on in verse 15, for if they're being cast away as a reconciling of the word, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? Okay, in other words, God allowed this to happen. And when they wanted to keep their works, he actually hardened their heart or blinded their heart. The word stupor is used here. But basically what it's saying is, in other words, God allowed this to happen so that salvation can come to Gentiles. I would sort of, if I would compartment and put it in compartments, I would say, okay, the witness to the Old Testament was Israel. Israel's here. Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They rejected him. Many of them, but many of them got saved. So now we're living in this chunk of time. I believe it's 2,000 years, roughly. And now we've been grafted in, and we're gonna be reading that right here. So Israel's been set aside, but not totally. And the reason for it is is so that we, during this period of time, can be grafted in as Gentiles. Now it started with Cornelius, and um, when we get down to our text of verse 25, I'll talk about the beginning of the church, and when the church is no longer here, and then we go back to, remember God owes Israel how much time? He owes them seven years, that's still future. So, Israel, church, and then this remnant in the end. There's a remnant now, and I'll get into that uh, here a little bit too. So 11 through 15 um, talks about uh, the reason for Israel's rejection. Why? So you and I could be here this morning. And he's reached out and saved uh, Gentiles. All right, 16 through 24 I address this, how our attitude should be towards the Jewish people and the nation of Israel in particular. And I actually want to um, talk about this a little bit. I I had so many examples I could throw out to you. Um, But anti-Semitism is off the charts right now, like never before. Uh, turn back with me to the book of Genesis chapter 12. You're familiar with it, but I want you to see it anyway. And it's the Lord speaking to Abraham, and this is one of his promises. Genesis 12, one through three. Now the Lord said to Abraham, get out of your country, from your kindred, 
and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I'm going to make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Turn with me uh, quickly to the book of Revelation. From the very beginning, Satan's attempt to destroy the nation of Israel is recorded in the Old Testament in the book of Esther, where a decree was made that all the Jews must die, every single one of them. That's the book of Esther. Of course, it didn't happen. In our modern day time, um, during um, World War II, we had over six million Jewish people murdered in Auschwitz, Birkenau, and um, uh, talk about a life-changing experience being able to walk through these places and uh, realize that it wasn't even really Hitler. Hitler was very involved with the cult, and um, he was determined. Um, many historians believe that he could have won that, that war with Russia if he would have taken and diverted the trains that were bringing the Jews to Auschwitz and Birkenau, if he would have used those for military means, he actually could have won that war with Russia. Russia would eventually be the ones that liberate. We were involved with it, but Russia was actually the one that came in and liberated Berlin. And um, my point is, Hitler was just an instrument by Satan to destroy the Jewish people. And when he, he is full of such evil and hatred towards them because it was through the Messiah that he was defeated. He's already defeated, uh, sort of like putting away um, Christmas shopping and you put something and you lay it away. And you come back and I'll say, I'll pick it up later and pay it off later. Well, the Lord's already paid it all. He just hasn't picked it up yet. That picking it up will be you and I. But the price has already been paid. The battle's been won. But if you're in Revelation 12, I just added this to my notes while I'm sitting back there in the prayer room. I also had to get up when I went to bed last night. I was tired, and more Bible study notes are coming to me, so I got up, because I knew I'd forget them in the morning. (laughs) And I'll close with those this morning. Revelation chapter 12 um, is a study within itself. The three main characters are the, the child, the fiery red dragon, and um, the woman. The woman is Israel. The fiery red dragon, we read in verse 9, is the devil. The great dra- dragon that was cast out, serpent of old, called the devil and Satan. So, yes, there's symbolism in the Bible. Israel is symbolic of the woman. The male child is symbolic of Jesus. But we're told here that Jesus was caught up into heaven. All right, now he's cast down to earth, and we read, verse 12, Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having great wrath, because he knows he has a short time. When does this take place? Exactly in the middle 
of the seven-year period of time. So now he has to, he's got three and a half years to accomplish what he's been trying to accomplish as the garden uh, when there was uh, Cain and Abel. That's when the death started. And then it says, um, but the woman was protected and nourished for a time's time and half a time. Well, that's another way of saying three and a half years. So the serpent, um, the earth helped the woman. Verse 17, and the dragon was enraged with the woman, Israel. Not just the rest of the world, but Israel in particular. And went to make war with the rest of her offspring and to keep the commandments and those who keep the commandments of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So my point there with this is our country has changed so much with critical theory and it's in such flux of change towards socialism. Um, Think what you want to, but I already believe we're in World War III and I believe that with all my heart. And they're very effective in their warfare and how they're attacking us. And they're being very effective. They're allowing fear to dictate what you do and don't do. And if you don't do what to tell them to do, uh, now I'm hearing reports of actually people saying, if you know a neighbor that hasn't been vaccinated, you need to turn them in or let us know about it or get right in their face about it. I heard a story just the other day. Some guy came up to, I won't mention the brother's name, but he was just out. He wasn't wearing, um, you get your get your shot? No, not going to. Not going to? Well, then I'm going to punch you out right here. And uh, he said, well, maybe we should go outside. <laughs> so he was at work when this happened. And... Um, so they go outside, and when they go outside, the guy had taken off. So he wasn't as um, um, bold as uh, he was letting on to be. But my point is, that's what it's getting to. And they're using fear as a tactic to control. This is the 4th of July. It's all about our freedom. It's all about our independence. And we're capitulating to the CCP, the Communist political party, and they're the one pulling the strings and calling the shots. Kind of, sort of. Because the real thing that's going on is there's a spiritual warfare that has not gone on um, probably in, ever in the world. We were at one time the strongest um, country, militarily, and otherwise, wealth-wise, in the entire world. That's why everybody wants to come to America, except maybe now. So my point, let's go back to Romans. I think we made the point that one of the things that we'll be seeing is this rise on how we should treat the Jewish people. Well, what does it say in Genesis? I'll bless you if you bless them, but if you go after them, I'm gonna curse you. The one thing that's standing against socialism, Marxism, in our country today, the thing they fear most, anything else, is guess who? You. You. And constitutionalists, not globalists. And people who will stand up 
for their liberties. Marx, Lenin hated religion above all things because in it we have freedom. Good place for an amen. amen. And that freedom is being threatened today. And um, I'll let uh, Curtis get into his suggestion on how he thinks we should handle the situation. So we'll be doing that when we hit chapter 13, which is the chapter that talks about um, submitting ourselves to the authorities that are over us and attributing that to our government. Well, we're supposed to submit because our government says so. Boy, does Curtis take issue with that one. And then he tells you why. But he does it simply through reading the Constitution. Anyway, I'm getting sidetracked there. Let's go back to um, Romans chapter 11. And um, we left off. And 16 to 24, our attitude, okay, what should our attitude be? Well, I'm going to do a little sidetrack here. Let's read verses um, down to verse 24 here. For the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. If the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, he's talking about Israel being the foundation. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree, that's us Gentiles, were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree. Olive tree, always emblematic of Israel. Do not boast against the branches. In other words, watch your attitude when it comes to the Jewish people. But if you boast, remember that you do not support the root but the root supports you. When Paul wants to make his case, what does he do? He quotes Old Testament scriptures. That's the root. You will say then branches were broken off that we might be grafted in. They're done with, here we are. It's all about us now. Paul's saying, wrong attitude. Don't go there. Uh, You see, you're being supported by the root. You aren't supporting the root. The root's supporting you. Well, you say, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Do not be haughty. Can you see where he's going with this? Don't be uh, haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Well, this is getting a little uncomfortable. And then he goes on in verse 21 to say, therefore, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity, but towards you, goodness. Now we have this big little word. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. And I think that's gonna cause some people to have their minds rattled a little bit because of what I just read. Read it again, and I'm taking it just for what it says. And I'm not going to try to dance around about what I'm about to say. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, okay, these are Jews who are trying to keep the law. If they come to the conclusion, you're right. Jesus, it is grace. It's not works. So if they have their attitude changed and they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft 
them in again. I remember visiting this apple orchard, southern Wisconsin, and um, they had this one apple tree that had 15 different kinds of apples on this one apple tree. (laughs) How do you do that? Well, you graft them in. And you can have this, uh, that's the idea here. And he says, you're the unnatural ones that have been grafted into the natural. How much more easy is it for God, if they come to grace, to graft them back into their own natural culture, being Jews? But he says, you've got to be doing it in faith. Otherwise, you also might be cut off. All right, I'm going to get a little sidetracked here. And... Um, Some of you are thinking, Dwight, didn't we just read last week in in Romans 8 that neither height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus? That that sounds like pretty much security to me. But what I want to point out is there's one thing that Paul doesn't mention in this list of things, principalities, powers, whatever. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Well, What Paul doesn't mention here is our own free will. Do I still have free will after I come to the Lord? Well, not according to Calvinism. Remember we went through that? It's called a tulip under the U, irresistible grace. means you don't even have a chance. God's grace is so irresistible, once you get locked into it, nothing can take it away from you. You've been predestined for it. And if that's true, that means some have been predestined to hell. And if you weren't here last week, I quoted Dave Hunt's book, What Love Is This? And Where Does My Free Will Come In? And what kind of God that I love and serve would predestinate people to hell? That's all the farther this bread has to go to, to check that one off and say, that's not biblical. It's not the God that I know. And I told you about John Calvin. He was a dictator. He had people burned at the stake simply for believing in infant baptism. And um, boy, could I get sidetracked there. And some of you are thinking, we know you could, Dwight. So I won't. But I am going to have you turn to Hebrews chapter 6. Remember when we did the ABCs, the elementary principles? Let's go back to Hebrews. Because after we went through the ABCs, we left off with verse 1 and 2. I didn't read the next four verses. The next four verses say this. In verse four, for it is possible for those who were once enlightened and haven't tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. Sounds to me like they're born again, partakers of the Holy Spirit, and, um, and have tasted the good word of God. They enjoyed a good Bible study. And the powers of the age to come, there's that little word again, if they fall away, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, surely they crucified again for themselves the Son of God and put him to an open shame. The argument is here when it comes to eternal security that they were never saved in the first place. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, Paul is talking to the, uh, I mean John, 
speaking here, um, speaking to the church of Sardis, where he talks about if they overcome. That's another way of saying if you continue. We read in verse three, he who overcomes or continues to the end shall be clothed in a white garment. And I will not block out his name from the book of life. What? Why even say it unless it's possible? Will you just chew on that for a second? Why even say it unless it's possible? I'm gonna quote what I got from and I learned from Pastor Chuck when it gets into this issue. And I'm gonna read a paragraph of a man named Charles Templeton. Anybody here ever hear of Charles Templeton? Oh, quite a few, I'm impressed. All right, let me tell you a little bit about Charles Templeton. There was a time when Charles Templeton was one of the most popular evangelists in the nation. He was bosom buddies of Billy Graham. They were at times preaching team mates. During the 50s and 60s, Templeton preached to crowds of 10,000 to 30,000 nightly. He packed stadiums and thrilled audiences with his proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ as he believed it to be from um, some denomination that they came out to that they really didn't understand the real gospel. Anyway, along the way, however, gnawing doubts began to work on his mind. He started questioning the reliability of the Bible. He wholeheartedly swallowed the Darwinian view of evolutionary history. He later confessed that he always doubted the Genesis count of creation, and he secretly rejected the biblical teaching of final punishment for the disobedient. Unquestionably, he labored for years under the burden of a progressively hardening heart. He was hypocrisy personified. Finally, he could bear it no longer. He got loose from it all, To use his own words, he bade farewell to God. In 1996, Charles Templeton published his book, the title of which expresses the sentiment, just stated, farewell to God. My reasons for rejecting the Christian faith set forth the rationale the former evangelist believed and validates the credibility of the Bible in general and Christianity in particular. I owned a copy of Templeton's book for several years and surveyed its contents. There's absolutely nothing new in his argument. They reflect the same old um, hawk-eyed giblets that infidels had paraded under the guise of intellectualism. It's interesting to me that the Bible says God has chosen the foolish things of the world and when he went down his path of intellectualism and um, believing that's revolved over millions and millions of years, that was intellectually acceptable to him, um, where God created the heavens and the earth in six, seven days, six days, seven days. And that's what the Bible clearly teaches. I have no problem with that. Anybody here have a problem with it? Exodus 21, when you're going through it, clearly says God made the heavens and the earth in that amount of time. And he could have done it in a lot of less period of time if he chose to. But it is not the purpose 
would I leave off? In fact, Templeton's presentation is less far formidable than that of, of more um, than other skeptics. But it's not the purpose of this article to review Templeton's arguments. As fascinating as that would be, rather, the piece provides footnotes on this terribly and sad story. This is what Pastor Chuck told us at a pastor's conference a year ago. And um, this big little word, if. If you continue. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. Good place for an amen. amen. What about my free will? What about Charles Templeton? Thousands and thousands of people come to Christ. Now, if I understand that you can't come to Christ unless there's anointing of the Holy Spirit on the speaker that cuts the heart of the person who's hearing the gospel, something happened there. And I know that to some that are so locked into eternal security, they work their way around these verses, primarily with, well, they were probably never saved in the first place. And what I'm telling you this morning is I can't dance around the scriptures that I'm reading in Romans chapter 11, Hebrews chapter six, and Revelation three. And I do believe that God will honor our free will even if it means that I don't wanna do this anymore. He always uses the word overcomers when he makes these promises. It's another way of saying if you continue. In other words, don't look back. Didn't Jesus say that about Sodom and Gomorrah? Lot, you and your wife get out of here. Isn't our country looking a whole lot like Sodom and Gomorrah these days? What they're te- teaching our five to 12 year old kids? And the transgender identity? The Lord said, anyone who causes one of my little ones to stumble, who has a childlike faith, and by the way, he said, unless you become like little children, unless you have that childlike faith. Daddy, what color is the sky? Purple. Oh, okay, it's purple. Why, why is it purple? Because daddy said so. And that's a childlike faith. And when we have that childlike faith, but that he warns, if any of these college professors, I like that word, professing themselves to become wise, what happened to them? They became fools. And um, you can't find a good university today in our country. Unless, unless you hold to evolution, unless you're open to social agenda changes. And you guys all know it. If you have any kids in college, you know what they're coming home with. And they're, they're adopting socialism. Hey, I like this. I'd rather get paid 20 bucks an hour for staying home than going to work for 15. And what is it creating in them? An attitude of complacency. Oh, we'll let the government take care of us. All I lose is my freedom in doing so. Let's go back to, I read um, Charles Templeton, I'll just let uh, uh, you dwell on that. Let's go back to Romans, looking at verses 23 and 24. Okay, and now we're going back to the Jews in verse 23. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. Okay, here's these Jews that accept the gospel, for God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature, when were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, 
how much more will these, who are the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? Israel's the root. And everything that we believe comes from the Old Testament and our own Messiah is Yeshua HaMashiach. He's Jewish, of the lion, of the tribe, of Judah. Well, brings us to our text. And you thought we'd never get there. Let's go to verse 25. Here's the title that I chose for the message this morning. For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that hardening in part has happened to Israel. All right, that's what's happening right now. The most sinful city in the world today is Tel Aviv. Go ahead and Google it. The most sinful city in the world today happens to be in Israel. Not Vegas, not Hollywood, Israel. And in Revelation, it talks about the two um, witnesses, Moses and Elijah, being killed in that city which the Lord's called Sodom and Gomorrah. That's what the Lord called it, okay? So what's happening right here is there's an implication that this mystery, that we shouldn't be wise in our own opinion, that God did this on purpose. He allowed them, Israel, to be hardened for the season that we're in. In part has happened to Israel, and then we have another little word, until. The fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So what we have here is a picture of the fullness of the Gentiles is actually a reference to the rapture of the church. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 24, please. You'll be familiar with those of those who've been around for a while, but because of the lateness of the hour, um, it's late right now, it's very late. And the parable of the fig tree is an answer to the Lord's, the disciples' question he actually asked him two, two, two questions, one relating to the temple, and then what would be the sign? And I want you to know that it's singular. What will be the sign? And I believe that's answered in the parable of the fig tree in verse 32. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things be fulfilled. All Bible prophecy. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will no means pass away. But let us continue it on into verse 36, which says, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. If you've been around long enough, you know that I can take you to Daniel, show you to the very day, April 6, 32 AD, where we do know the day. It was the only day that Jesus allowed himself to be worshiped. And he himself chided them for not knowing the time of his visitation as if they were supposed to know the time. So I can tell you the time to the day that Jesus allowed himself to be worshiped as the Messiah. I can also tell you the very day that he's going to come the second time at the end of the tribulation. If you're taking notes, jot it down. Revelation chapter 12, the last four verses. It says when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, 
start marking your calendar off because 1,290 days later, he comes again. What are you saying, Dwight? Well, the only thing we don't know the day and the hour is what? Rapture of the church. Jesus said he didn't even know. It says, but that day and hour no one knows, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But it's gonna be as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. We are living in the days of Noah. More and more each day man's heart is becoming more evil, more wicked, and um, um, just like the days of Noah, where it says the thoughts of man's heart were only evil continually. And we have a line there. And that line, I don't know where it is. Um, I believe that the Lord will pull the trigger at the last possible moment. Why? Because he's long-suffering. Not willing that any should perish. He'll wait till the very, very end and then he'll draw the line just as it was in the days of Noah. He says, all right, that's enough. Come on home, church. This is the fullness of the Gentiles. When did it begin? Pentecost, remember? It tells us there when it was being preached that 3,000 people get saved. Well, that's amazing. And they believed and were baptized. Uh, John 1 verse 17, it says, the law came by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. It also goes on to say that the law will bring forth death, but grace and truth will bring forth life. Is it just a coincidence that on the day that the law was given in the Old Testament, that 3,000 people died? And the day that the Holy Spirit fell upon the church, it tells us that 3,000 people were saved. Oh, it's just a coincidence. No, we're making a clear distinction here between the law that brings death and grace and truth that came through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the parable of the fig tree, and the reason I go here, it will end with the rapture. The fullness of the Gentile implies a number, just like there was a number in the Old Testament, just like there was a number in Pentecost. I believe God knows that number. And what I like to say at this point, if you're that person that's holding everything up, get your act together, I want to go home. Amen Amen to that? All right, quit dragging your feet already. Enough with the arguments. It's late. It is very late. All right, verse... um, And remember that God owes Israel seven years. So here's the scenario. Old Testament, church age begins with Pentecost, ends with the rapture, and I believe immediately after that, we have the two witnesses. Well, how long do they witness for? Three and a half years. And if if you're Jewish and you have Moses and Elijah preaching the gospel to you, doing signs and wonders whenever they want to, There are the two olive branches from Zechariah chapter four. And um, this is a reference now to the remnant. In verses 26 and 27 um, of going back to Romans, 26 says, and so Israel will be saved. When? After the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. This is where he keeps his promise 
Again, if you're taking notes, it's Daniel 9, verse 27, where the Lord says that the Antichrist will make a covenant with many for seven years. And in the middle of the covenant, he'll break it. The middle of seven is three and a half years. And then he quotes the scripture that Paul read for us earlier. The deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, that's Israel, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. How does that happen? The gospel's being preached, not only by them, but by those, remember Daniel 7, those 144,000 Jehovah Witnesses? Is there witnessing during that time? Just making sure you're listening. No, 144,000 radical evangelists and they're turning, I believe it'll probably be one of the greatest revivals. What are they? So all of Israel will be saved? Who will? The remnant. The ones that enter into the seven year period of time. When Paul says all Israel shall be saved, it does not mean every individual Israelite will be saved. It is the nation he has before us in this chapter. In every age, only a remnant is saved. The quotation Paul uses is from Isaiah 59, 20 in the Old Testament. And the redeemer shall come out of Zion. And unto them that turn from transgression um, in Jacob, says the Lord. The message to the individual is that they will have to turn from transgression to the Lord. Uh, There will be a remnant that will turn to him. All of them will be saved. He speaks of the saved remnant as a nation of Israel. There was also a remnant that is saved. There was a remnant saved in Elijah's day. Remember the 7,000 that didn't bother any? There was a remnant in David's day. There was a remnant in Paul's day. There's a remnant in our day, Messianic Jews. And there will be a remnant during the great tribulation period. 28 through 32, um, that blows my mind. I don't know how else to say it. Now, concerning the gospel, change of thought. Concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. For the gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. For as you were once disobedient, can everybody identify with that? I'd say 90% of us here were one time disobedient. For you were once disobedient to God, yet have now obtained mercy through their disobedience. Now he's tying it all together. God purposely set Israel aside so that he could work with you and I. And the gospel was given to the Gentiles. And he caused this hardening of a heart. And he set Israel and the, stop, uh, the clock stopped when Jesus said to them, you're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And he turned his back and he went to, to, um, on to the Gentiles. Um, For you were once disobedient, yet now you've obtained mercy through their disobedience. 
Even so, these have also been disobedient, that through the mercy shown, they also might obtain mercy. So now he's gonna keep that seven-year promise, and he's gonna start doing this incredible work with the Jewish people. By the way, um, I don't know who said it, but somebody I was listening to just said that the Jews in America are going back to Israel by the thousands right now. And um, again, the Lord is just setting the stage for all this to happen. For God has committed to them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. What does that mean? Well, that brings you and I back into it. God so loved the whole world, okay? Not just Israel, but he loves, he's no respecter of people, but this opens the door now by setting Israel aside that the rest of the world can hear the gospel, exercise their own free will. Yes, I accept it, or yes, I reject it. And uh, that is a, uh, the free will that we have, but this is why it blows my mind. And Paul's writing this, but he's digesting it at the same time, and he can't put it into words. So he says it this way, oh, the depths and the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him? For to him and through him are all things to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. Paul says, how wise is it of our God? We can't wrap our head around all this. I'm gonna, um, this is what got me out of bed last night in this section here. This praise, I'll come back to it in closing. But um, I want you to turn to the very first prophecy in the Bible. It's in Genesis 3. And we'll close with this this morning. Some of you are counting right now. That was the first time he said it. Okay, this would be the curse that the Lord placed upon Satan for deceiving Eve. And he says in verse 15, this is the first prophecy in the Bible. It's about Jesus. And it says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, okay? And between your seed, the seed of the serpent, and her seed, all right? Well, this is interesting because the woman does not possess the seed, Okay, so where did the seed come from? Well, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary. And um, it's a reference to the Lord. Well, what will happen? And I said, he will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is the first prophecy in the Bible and it's a reference to um, Jesus defeating um, Satan by bruising his head and had complete victory when Jesus said, it is finished. Job done, paid in full. Well, Paul picks up on this in Romans chapter 16, verse 20, and I'm gonna have you go there. We'll be there in a couple of weeks. Romans 16, verse 20, 
says, and the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Well, I thought he already did. No, he's still the prince and the power of the air. He's still the God of this world. But what I underline here is the word shortly. Who is he talking to? Roman church 2,000 years ago. But he uses the word shortly. And God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. And the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. So we are in two wars right now. Heading towards the great tribulation with exponential speed. But before that can begin, the fullness of the Gentiles, the rapture of the church, has to come to the end of the church age before he can keep his promise to Israel for the last seven years. Everybody with me? So the clock has stopped. But the fullness of the Gentiles, when that happens, tick, tick, tick. And we have a precise period of time. Remember, Romans 60, verse 20, Jesus said, shortly. Well, if it was shortly then, how much shortly is it now? And how much has our world changed within the last year? My friends, I just want to say it's the 4th of July today. And looking back, we can't believe what's happened to our country over this last year. So I think it's very shortly that these things are going to happen. So here we are, the 4th of July, 2021. Let's go back to the last verse of chapter 11 and read it again. Where it says, for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and we'll close in prayer. Lord, as we make our way through the book of Romans, thank you for your word this morning, Lord. And it just makes perfect sense that you're sovereign. Your ways are past finding out. How glorious it is that you purposely blinded Israel for a season so that we could be grafted in to the family. And Lord, um, my prayer this morning is for those that are getting weary and doing well and um, we've walked with you. Lord, help us never look back and be like Lot's wife. She never made it because she looked back. I pray for any that are being tempted in that area or just getting weary and doing well that we would remind us, that you would remind us that you told us the story about Lot's wife for a reason. It's an exhortation that um, we forget those things that are behind and we set our mind on things that are in above. So, Lord, again, we just praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.